Okay, here we are. Here I am and the children that God has given me. I haven't found the scripture yet, but that's the one that keeps rattling around. It's in Isaiah somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Here I am and the children that God has given me. Isaiah. I don't know. I looked in my concordance but couldn't find it and it just, it just keeps rattling around in my mind. Oh, hello children. <laughs> so, we're talking about, actually, un about unanswered prayer and why. Um, it's, as, it, as I said, it's all about relationship. Everything he does is to draw us into relationship with himself. Um, if you just look at the Old Testament and you look how he was with his people, he wants to be with us. He doesn't want visitation, he wants habitation. Forget visitation. I don't want visitation. I don't want the Holy Spirit flipping in and flipping out. I want him here to stay. I want him to be here. And, and to do that, we have to, in our fellowship with one another, be so open that he will come. Because when we studied the Psalms, it said, didn't it, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And it is in that dwelling in unity that the Lord's presence can come and stay. Because he can't stay where there's disunity. He can't hack it. He can't stay around that. Because by definition, if I'm thinking nasty thoughts about Sue, I'm not in unity with her. If I've got an issue, I need to bring it out into the open and speak to the person about it. And love is never an issue. The love is not on the table for negotiation. As we go on, we'll find that the agape that God wants us to walk in, I love you, that is settled. Everything else I do will be to work, a set, work it out day to day in the relationship with you. You know, when you say this, I feel like that. Um, so how can we sort this? Sometimes it's a good idea to just go out and have a cup of tea and talk about the things that are causing the problems because it's never an issue for a fight. Because if we're fighting each other, it's our old nature coming up and that's what God's said we need to crucify and get rid of. We'll be looking at that probably in the summer school, if I ever get round to looking at the summer school. Uh, so really what God's been talking to me about big time um, is Psalm 84 and nesting in his altar. Ever so interesting. Psalm 84, even a sparrow. It's all about fellowship, you see. You can't, if he's got a subject that he wants you to, to talk about, you can go Jeremiah, Matthew, Hosea, anywhere, and it'll all come out the same because the message is going to come, come to be the same thing. And right now we're looking at fellowships. And I said to him this morning, because Roger Price has got a series on fellowships around here somewhere. And I said to him, are, they, are you saying to me that they're sort of out of date? Not that I've had a chance to listen to them. But it's not so much that they're out of date, because there's a lot of in them, I'm sure, that would be absolutely pertinent to this. But God is doing a new thing. He's rewriting everything that, that we understand about church. He's taking the church back into his own hands, out of the hands of men that have controlled it, squashed it, squashed the sheep, um, and what he was speaking to me about this morning, funnily enough, was, and I'm still trying to get my head around it, was the communion service. What we've done with 
communion. Little wafer, little sip of wine, communion. Come up to a bar, get it, or you get it in a little glass pot, depending on what denomination you belong to. And he said, what was Jesus doing when he shared the bread and the wine? I thought he was having a meal. Round the table, weren't they? Yeah. And there was the bread on the plate and broke that. Had whatever else they were going to have. As he had it, as he had the bread, he broke it and gave it to them. And then uh, there were about four or five cups, actually, that they took, not just one. Because it's the course of the Passover meal, because that's what they were taking at the time. And uh, so finally he comes to the last cup and says, this is my blood. You know, so what we've done is narrowed it right down to church service, Sunday morning, once a month or whenever, first Sunday in the month, communion. And instead of sitting around a table in a relaxed fashion, talking to each other about the Lord and about what he said to us and what his revelation he's given to us from the scriptures this week, we get this little bit of wafer and a little drop of wine or fruit juice uh, and that's it. And it's like he said to me in the bath, I am the bread of life. I am. I'm what you should be talking about round your meal table when you're taking communion. Oh. Because <laughs> there's all sorts of radical schools of thought like you know that we should all do the Passover once a year so we go into Jewish tradition or um, that we're really free and we have communion anytime we like but it still isn't what he was saying uh, in Acts they went from house to house breaking bread with one another and talking about what Jesus had done what were they doing they were being church We've got this ability to organise ourselves into little groups and then set it in concrete. And then, of course, we put someone over us and then uh, it becomes control. And then the oversight gets partial about who they want in their church and they won't stand for a certain amount of things and people get marginalised out to the outside edge. Jesus wasn't like that. And it's not the way he wants church to be. So I got totally confused because he w he's been talking to me about all sorts of things over the last week or however long about how he actually wants us to be. So this could probably be quite garbled. Um, but I'll just read the scripture for a start. And it's Psalm 84 and in my, in my uh, version it has the joy of dwelling with God. How lovely are your dwellings, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will be praising you. And you know the rest of it. We looked at it when we looked at the Psalms of Ascent. It's all about setting hearts on pilgrimage. The fact is what God's trying to get the church to do now and, and us as a small body of believers is to see what he's getting at with regard to when we come together. 
because I'm also starting to try to read Graham's new book, which is Permission Granted, and I must say it's going about there with me, and I asked the Lord why it's going over my head, and he said, until you can understand what I'm doing, you can't read the book. Because I'm reading the same chapter over and over again. But what did jump out at me is tens, hundreds, or tens, fifties, and hundreds. And there are three different types of meeting size and purpose. When we come together in a small group, it's not house church, it's not a cell group, it's not fellowship group, it's an expression of church. It's an expression of Jesus called out ones. So each little group of people will have a different expression. And uh, in the book it was saying about not coming together for teaching and this and that and doing that. And I said, oh Lord, I'm getting it all wrong. <laughs> so he said, just keep on doing what I'm telling you to do and it'll evolve as you go on. Because the, the idea is as we go on that everybody brings something when they come to the meeting. So that is going to mean you're actually spending time saying, Father, what am I going to take to the meeting to build the other guys up? Mm. See, it's all about drawing yourself into the heart of God because he's drawing you into his heart. Um. He's dismantling, as we all know, what he's doing in the, in, the, in, the, in the church at large. That's why many of us can't actually go to church without feeling acutely uncomfortable. Because you can feel that there is something wrong, but you cannot put your finger on what it is. And so, rather than go, we stay away. Because it's not building me up. Something is not right. We're not even aiming for a New Testament church. I don't think that's... He doesn't make carbon copies. He's taking us into a realm that we haven't been in before, so we don't understand, so all we can do is follow step by step, but isn't that the Christian walk? He won't give us the plot and the plan. He really won't. It's absolutely amazing. But what he's talking about to me is nests. I said to one of the ladies who's uh, now joining us on a Monday night, Pat, some of you know her, Pat Lowe. Um, I said, I feel God wants you in a nest, dear. You need to pray and find out what the nest is, knowing full well where the nest was that she needed to come to, but I wasn't going to put it in her mind. <laughs> so I thought, that is not the way it's got to be. So the weeks go on and I spoke to her. I said, you found out where your nest is yet, dear? This was at the healing conference. And she said, no, he hasn't said anything. I said, do you think it could be with us? Her face was like a light bulb went on. <laughs> so she started coming to the Monday night group because she's finding a nest. Now if you think about a nest, it's all nice and warm and cosy. And the baby birds get fed. And when they're big enough, mummy and daddy take them out and they watch over them while they're feeding for themselves. And then eventually, they're able to fly. And this is the whole nurture business that, that is missing, but that God 
it, he's just coming right back to basics. This is the way I want it done. A, a, a group of us, when we get together, are really nurturing each other. So that we, we will have awkward moments. I'll upset you, no trouble at all, because I have this um, predisposition for being able to stand on people's feet without really realising it. Um, but these things are things that we need to work through, pray through, and never see anything as being an obstacle that we can't get round. Because if you have sight of Jesus, sight of God, the bigness of him. We played on um, Monday night. We spent, and must have been an, about an hour and a half, wasn't it, girls? Listening to the whole of um, Graham's CD, or the soaking thingy, as he calls it. And one of our number, when she went away, said, well, all I've got out of that is the bigness of God. And Joyce said to her, that's enough. Um, because this particular person is very turned in on herself. And when we turned in on ourselves, we make a very small parcel. But if we start, why well, I wanted to start the day with just having a look at one of the attributes of God, like his omniscience, his omnipresence, his the vastness of him. Because Graham says on that CD, I'm, you're, you're so big. You are big, you're big. Yep, you're, you're very big. <laughs> And and when you look away from yourself to the bigness of God, you lose yourself in his bigness. So everything that was a problem to you, suddenly you recognize he is big enough for this. And I'm always saying to people, they come with the naughtiest problems. God is big enough. He really is big enough. And he will let us have problems just to show how big he is. So as he can stand there and say, big enough. No problem. And whether you can understand it or not, what, what was happening when you guys were seeking him to see if there's anything in the way of your fellowship with him, is that he en enjoys your struggles. Not that he enjoys it like he's being spiteful and sadistic. He enjoys seeing you grow through those struggles because the only way we grow is through struggle. We don't grow it just by sitting there. Ask any seed that's had to break out and put roots down. That seed has to pop and the roots then start to go down into the earth for the nurture. And what he wants is us being like sparrows, the swallows, a nesting on the altar. They couldn't have got much closer, could they? nesting on the altar of God right in the holy place nesting on the altar and it's about father's house father's saying come home I'm an expression in my house when I was uh, young and I never realised it my mum would say when something was broken oh it's gone home it's gone home and I never questioned it you know, vacuum cleaner, oh, it's gone home, meaning it's broken. But actually, what it's coming from is a biblical thing. Where do we go when we die? We go home. Where's he calling us to now? 
home it's his heart his heart is our home that's where we got to live in in the in the heart of god inside that is our home so when my mum was saying something had gone home she was saying it's died really you know that's it's gone home you see it in tombstones don't you gone home i do trust they have i don't think they'd have put it on there if they weren't believers because they wouldn't have known what they were talking about you know you can put it on mine if i ever have one gone home So the way out of self-focus is to get focused on him and the size of him and to meditate because looking at yourself too much slows down your journey. It just slows down your journey. Oh, Lord, here I go again. Oh, I don't think I'll ever be any different. Oh, I'm too much of a problem for you. I'm always going to be like this. And he's out there saying to the angels, get the violins out, she's off again. <laughs> get this video, she'll, she'll burn with embarrassment when I play it to her next week. <laughs> you are accepted. Not because of anything you have done or anything you can do. You're accepted because... He set his love on you, whether you like it or not. So, be loved. He said, Tanya, you, going to love you. So, I'm going to love you, whether you like it or not. Sarah, I'm going to love you. June, Dominique, Hannah, Carol, Joyce, me, going to love you. It's got nothing to do with your merit as a person doesn't matter whether you've got a university degree as high as St Paul's Cathedral or you've been commissioned and sent out by the Archbishop. It's nothing to do with it. He doesn't measure the way men measure. He looks on you and says, that one's mine. And there's a pathway then into his heart for you. What we have to find is the pathway narrow is the way and few there be that find it broad is the road but narrow so we get our focus narrowed right down to getting through that hole and getting into his heart whatever you think about whatever consumes your thinking is an idol in your heart so have a little think about what spent what you spent it could be yourself you may be self-absorbed, in which case I would say have another thought. <laughs> Looking at yourself too much slows down your journey. Because we become, we become the focus of our reason for being. And it's like trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just bend down and try that one day see if you can get yourself up off the floor by pulling your bootstraps can't do it but you straighten up into him and you start looking to him and once you start realizing who you are in him your attitude towards other people will change because to the measure we judge ourselves we actually judge other people so if you are actually down and hard on yourself 
you are going to be pharisaical when it comes to somebody else because you're going to judge them with the same measure that you judge yourself so if you hate yourself and you judge yourself you're going to look critically at them because that's the way it works so you get to start looking at Jesus and he says I absolutely adore you and you think well if you say so then I mean I'm not going to argue am I I'd be silly if I did stop arguing with him be the beloved of God learn to be loved and you'll find all your rejection problems your self rejection problems your low self esteem which again is looking at yourself I don't think much of me oh I do oh well I don't your opinion higher than mine then no, but I don't think much of myself. Well, your opinion must be higher than mine. If thine eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. That is, is a Hebrew idiom for if you're focused on the right thing, your whole body will be full of light. So we've really got to train ourselves to be focused on Jesus so that we don't see ourselves if we see his bigness we'll look away from the small parcel of self can't help it and we begin to come into alignment with him right dropping right down under Father Son and Holy Spirit I mean you don't need telling that they are never falling out with each other because they're always in total unity so guess where he wants us in unity with him but it's a process and you don't get it there by hands-on ministry a lot of people would want lay hands on me I'll lay hands on you for you for the gift of yielding so that you'll yield to the Holy Spirit because that's what we need to do is to actually abandon ourselves to him abandon our rights to anything recognize that we're the bride and the bride price has been paid and walk in to that which Jesus won for us he won for us the right to walk into the throne room but there is one enemy of ours that will try to keep us out the enemy will work overtime to try to keep you out from what Jesus won for you which is himself God is our portion he is our inheritance. Everything that Jesus is coming into, so are we, but it isn't automatic. This is where you get to choose whether you're going to be, um, is it foot soldiers or infantry, aren't they? Yeah. Or the, uh, um, not the artillery, what do you call the ones that are on horseback? Cavalry. Or whether you get to be a general or a field marshal. In other words, you get to decide whether you're a follower, a believer, or a disciple. Three different groups of people. From that time, many turn back. Because the sayings of Jesus will be hard, because they will absolutely crucify your right to yourself. They crucify your flesh. You will not be able to have two people sitting on the throne of your life. And that is not a one-off decision. You can say, Father, I want you on the throne of my life, and immediately you take it back again. I've got, oh, well, he gave me free will. I've got a right to choose. A number of times I've heard that. God knows my heart. He sure does. 
See, all these things are true. The only place of complete satisfaction is abandonment to him. In that little book, who was it? It was here with um, when Deborah brought that book. Um, there's the one, You Are Precious, which is the one over there about the Wemex. And then there's the other book, I think I mentioned it last week, about um, Punchinello and all the rest of the um, little wooden people going around collecting boxes big boxes, small boxes, and then balls, and trying to be the top one, and um, and he ended up falling flat on his face, didn't he, in Eli's workshop. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you're trying to hang on to anything, you will end up falling flat on your face in Eli's workshop, and all, everything you're trying to hold on to will roll away from you, because it's a stripping process, and it's brilliant. Because nothing has any ability to hold you anymore. Nothing. Wherever you go, it's home. This isn't home to me. If I go and stay with Telsa's armors at home down there, the only place I don't really feel at home is in my son's house, funnily enough. I couldn't stay there and feel at home. Because if I go to Telsa's, I'm in a house where they're believers. So my heart is at rest and at peace. But if I go up to Stephen's, my heart's going to be a bit guarded about what I say and do because it's not, I'm not free there. But I'm still at peace. So wherever I go, that's home. I don't own anything, neither does Joyce. We own, own nothing. I mean, people don't, don't, they don't ask it, they don't, and it doesn't matter, but we don't own anything. So if our landlady suddenly says, um, want the house back, sitting on a pile of furniture out the front of field view. I used to get this vision when we were at the flat. It was real. I'm thinking, we are not going to have enough money and we are going to end up sitting in a hot picker's hut. That's where I used to think we would be. Some hot picker's hut. But it's, the, it's abandonment. Anything, everything that is holding on, it's a bondage to you, as we were talking about last week. So blessed, verse 5, Psalm 84, is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. This is the first step. We have to set our hearts on pilgrimage because the literal translation is in whose hearts are highways, a single highway, the king's highway, and it leads to the presence of the king himself. You are his inheritance. When Jesus looks at you, he says, Father, that's my inheritance. That's what I died for. That's what I'm coming into. You are his reward for everything that he did. I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. Don't, don't go there. But begin to look at yourself in, totally different, in a totally different way. Don't look at your faults. Look at what he's done so far. Look how he has sculpted Christ in you and enjoy it. Because as soon as you start to enjoy the process, like uh, Graham and the Three Stooges, you will start to ask the Lord to accelerate the process because you will enjoy, you'll love what you see him doing. You just love it. 
Because why? Because it's showing forth the character of Jesus. None of us actually wants to feel that we've been marinated in lemon juice. Squeezed face as our was it Hungary or Poland she came from making the squeezed face she said do British people make the squeezed face I thought Lord please don't ever let me get to be an old lady who's got creases like that because it will mean I've got a squeezed face I want it to be like that if I'm going to have any creases I want them to be on the other side so when you start to come into agreement with God about who you are, whose you are, what your inheritance is, that life is a ball, it's not going to be easy. But everything is for your profit. Our biggest enemy is not Satan, you know, it's ourselves. He just comes in and says, did God really say? I was talking to someone on the phone last night and I said, it's the same old thing, isn't it? Did God really say? Well, yes, it is, he said. I can't remember who it was. Yes, it is. It's the same old thing. Did he really say? Wouldn't go there if I were you. Because immediately he's got you back into his kingdom when you listen to what he's saying. That's a bit radical, isn't it? You don't want to be radical, do you? No one's going to talk to you if you're radical. Well, God will, thank you very much. I shall find out the secrets of his heart. Because he can't tell me unless I can come close. And if I come close, I've got to come naked. Because I can't come any other way. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross, cross I cling. Naked come to thee, but dress, I am all unrighteousness. And I am happy to say, I am all unrighteousness, but I am clothed with Christ. And underneath the blankets, like two, two boxers fighting, <laughs> under there, as the Holy Spirit and me are having this, wrestling match to see whether I'm going to let go and of course I am two falls of submission or a knockout to decide the winner so he's he for me he's challenging all my thoughts about what I've learnt about you I have got to undo so much thinking when this blitzed into me about the communion I thought well hey they were sitting round Laying round, actually, because they used to lay on the floor, didn't they? At a low table, passing the bread to one another, nattering about what Jesus had been doing during the day, arguing amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest. Uh, it was fellowship. It wasn't a handshake on a Sunday morning, you know, the Anglican handshake it processes you along, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> and. I don't mean to be critical. I'm not being critical. I'm saying God's doing a new thing. I want it with all my heart because it's freedom with a capital foof. It's not religion. We've had such a dose of religion. I think probably since Paul and the other apostles died and he had a fight to, to keep it pure then because he said, after I've gone, wolves, ravenous wolves will come in. He knew it. Moses said, after I've gone, you're going to go down the tubes. They, because if there is no actual power to keep people, church, whatever, on track, they'll go down the tubes. They rose up to play. We will rise up to play because of our fallen nature. Satan will say, you're out about a bit of this then. <laughs> We're off after it. You know. 
It's all true. And Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. So if he's applying a little bit of heat to get the wrinkles out and a little bit of pressure to the spots, that is what it is. Spots and wrinkles. And above all, as Graham says, he wants you to enjoy the journey with him. You're on a journey with him. As Graham says so graphically, we think Concord, God thinks camel. You know, and this is so true. You think, ah, got it. I've done it again recently. Right, okay, Lord, I can see the, hor- I can see where you're, g- oh, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm thinking, I've got all my oranges in a row or all my ducks in a row. This is it. And suddenly I've got a lemon, a banana and an orange. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I had three oranges there a minute ago. I thought I've got it all lined up. He will not let us get it lined up because he's bringing us to the place of absolute total dependence. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. There's hardly, it seems as though there are not going to be many people on Saturday. And I had to wrestle with God with that one. You know, it didn't take more than about three minutes. Um, And I'm thinking, I thought you said to do this. And everybody's dropping out. Well, so. And then it dawns on me, doesn't it? I'm just doing what he's told me to do. (laughs) It's not up to me how many people turn up. I will, I must give my best, whether there's three or fifty-three, or nobody. Doesn't matter. I must do my absolute best because it's not for them; it's for him. And that's where he starts to to shine on your heart, what your motives are. Because when you come into anything that approaches leadership, you think you'll be all right until you start getting the little tests along the way. And I'll tell you, it's the easiest thing in the world, please Lord keep me from it, is to start bringing in a measure of control on the sheep, the lambs that God, the children that God has given you to look after. You have got to walk so closely with him so that you know that when it's purity when you speak to them, it's purity, it's not partial when you give them advice or you pray with them, it's not got to come out of that fallen nature. That fallen nature has got to be so nailed that it hasn't got a squeak in it. So that when you come to mediate where there are differences, you're bringing the word of the Lord. It is much easier to control. Much, much, much. I can see how it's come in. I can see how much easier it is to just make a few lines and say, well, we don't do that. We don't, you know. And suddenly you've got four little lines and you've boxed people in. What my aim is here is is to go with what the Holy Spirit is flowing. I can't say I've got an aim at all. But I know that he wants to release every person into their God-given calling. Whatever that is. If your God-given calling is to be a wife and mother, then you're going to be the best wife and mother that's ever walked. That's going to be your goal. And to do that, you're going to need to be totally focused on Jesus so as he can tell you how to be the best wife and mother. Young Kate um, probably told you this before with the two little ones 
over in uh, Frinton. Um, her kids were getting real out of order, lippy with her, and she, she was just having such difficulty with them. So I said, I think you really need to ask the Lord about discipline and how you need to do it. He got, she sat down with him, she got a false cap sheet. I typed it up for her before she went. From, you don't help yourself to food in the in the cupboard, you sit at the table when you eat, you eat what I give you, you don't, I'm not asking you what you want, you eat what I give you. It's all sorts of things. You wear the clothes I tell you to wear, you're not having them cho choice. It's wrong to give them a choice at that age. She didn't realise, because what we've got coming along now is, a, is, is, and it's probably been for way back, though I'm only just seeing it, is a disconnected generation that have never actually been parented because the parents hadn't been parented. The children are given far too much choice and they're too young to make it. So you've got anarchy in the playground, really. But God will come in and he will start bringing his standards into that. And it's brilliant. She went home, she shared it with her husband. He said, absolute bliss. It's her that's got to bring it into into uh, the home because she's with the children more. Uh, how about this? This won't go down very well with the laws of the land, I expect. S wooden spoon. No second warning. If you don't do it right away, spoon. <laughs> she hasn't had to use the spoon. Just hasn't had to use it. But the child needs to know that it's there because that's what keeps them in line. We actually, we, we, we all need, we all need training. This is why when we come into God's school and he starts training us, we're like, we're like unbroken horses, galloping around. There's that lovely story, isn't there, about the king's um, carriage, the carriage of the king. This uh, person had this vision, it was years ago, and I was first a Christian, I remember, hearing about this, and I've now seen it actually in print. So it must be going on a bit. This man had a vision of this beautiful coach with six horses, plumes on their heads and bells round. And suddenly the coachman just pulled the coach to a halt. He didn't put the handbrake on and he got down between the horse's hooves at the back and the wheels. And he laid down and he was fiddling about with some sort of linkage between the, the horses and the horses stood absolute the plumes didn't move the bells didn't they were absolutely stock still he got back lifted the reins and with a word the carriage went off they were completely trained then the scene changed and it was a field with two young colts galloping around in it and suddenly the master came and he got a head collar on both of them and took them into the menage to start training them Round and round we go, first one way and then the other, over the Cavaletti, and if you, anybody who's done it knows it. You know, training, training, round and round, round and round. So one of them got fed up with this, jumped over the fence, I'm not having any more of that. But the other one stayed there, and he was trained. He was fed every day at his master's hand, he was flitz, fleek. <laughs> sleek even, fat and sleek. <laughs> Well, fleek, if you like. He was sleek and fat and beautiful and totally obedient and well-trained, and he got to pull the king's carriage. 
one day he's in his field having a graze there enjoying himself and he looked over the fence and coming up the lane is this bony coat all dull unhappy horse and it comes to the gate and says you know why do you look so sleek and wonderful and he looks at this other one and he said well I stayed here it's the one that had jumped over gone off and I'm fed every day at my master's hand but the one that hopped over the fence to do his own thing came back all skinny and hair falling out in lumps if Corky was still here I'd take you out and let you have a look see what he looked like in his, in his latter days Corky was the horse next door who's now pushing up the tree out there in the corner of the field <laughs> nutriments dust you are and dust you'll go so a little lesson there really being teachable get over them Cavaletti because what happens is God will do the same thing if you find you're seeing the same scenario as you saw last year you're thinking oh no I've been here before get wise okay what is it you're saying you know what are you saying to me what are you asking me for give him what he wants because the biggest pull is flesh versus spirit and guess who's going to win He's not going to let you go, beloved, because he's got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you. And time is getting short, so there is an acceleration of things. Change is here to stay. We've got to settle it. He's got the agenda. He's going to do it. we just got to say, okay, because that's the way it's going to be. We are all chips of the old block. If you see what I mean, that's what Joyce put on my, on my cards. <laughs> We're all being conformed into the likeness of Jesus, because that's God's determined purpose. Doesn't mean we lose our personality. It means our character is being conformed to Him, so that we don't think the way we did before, or speak the way we did before. But the thinking comes before the speaking because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart will come out of your mouth sooner or later, like this morning with me, um, when I was describing something there. A little descriptive word came out, didn't it? <laughs> God's actually not too bothered about things like that. It's, it's relational stuff that he's bothered about and even then he's not bothered because he knows he can do it uh, he said to me the other day <laughs> am I bothered is my face bothered <laughs> do I look bothered <laughs> God's got such a sense of humour he's so real you know we get so po-faced don't we when we're covered into his presence uh, and uh, piety and all this nonsense and he's not like that he's as likely to sit down on the curb and have a pint with a drunk as, as anyway that's who he came for the ones that knew they couldn't do it and me, I know I can't do it so he set his love on us not because of anything at all about us I think it's, um, was it Mike Bickle that said, you are the reason you love us? And Graham said he wrestled with that because he thought, I can't, he couldn't get his head around it, that God is the reason that he loves us. We're not the reason he loves us. He is the reason he loves us. 
because it's all him. It's, we are here by his determined purpose. So that puts ownership in a different light, doesn't it? We are here by his determined purpose. And it pleased him. I noticed that again, Graham said it on that CD, that it pleased God to bruise Jesus, to win us. And I saw it somewhere in the Old Testament too, and I can't remember what it was about. I'm like, oh, where am I in? I'm in Samuel. And it pleased God. And I thought, that is amazing. In, in other words, Graham's saying right now, he's indulging himself in us. He's, he's indulging himself in what he's doing with it. He's pleasing himself. He's pl let him please himself over your life. Just let him please himself. Lord, help yourself. So I said to him, help yourself to me. What do you want? Have it. I'm a box of chocolates. Have what you'd like, you know. Help yourself. The, the only place is that place of abandonment. And Giles, you know, one of our trustees, has a very good friend, elderly man now into his 80s. But he taught Giles about abandonment. He's written a little book. I keep saying I'm going to get it. And it's all about abandonment to Jesus. Just laying down your rights to anything you think you've got rights about and becoming all he wants you to be because then you're completely free he is not trying to take anything away from you he's actually trying to give you himself and that will satisfy everything absolutely everything if you will take what he wants to give you it's all about I'll take it someone who's not too far away here speaking in tongues now who wasn't discovered that she actually had to receive what God was giving her. Oh. It's sort of like hanging out there, suspended on a string, and he's saying, well, it's yours. You're thinking, well, give it to me then. Well, I've given it to you. Well, why can't I have it then? Well, take it. <laughs> it's simple. Take, take, take what he's giving you. Be greedy, but be greedy for him. Be greedy. For more of him. I can't get enough. What's it say here? My soul longs, yes, even faints for the court of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. There's a hunger in that. And if you're not hungry, ask him to put a hunger in your heart. Because everything comes from him. We can't go on any longer, beloved, being placid no different from the rest of the world we've got to get the shine back we've had our shine taken away from us we've got tarnished by what goes on around us and he's coming along with his little bit of buffer and shining us up and we're beginning to shine like lights in the firmament as we hold out the word of life as it says in Philippians I think it was Augustine said uh, preach the gospel and if necessary use words um, I'll finish with this. I don't know about you, but I would like to come to the place where when I walk into a room of unbelievers, they know Jesus has walked in. Not because of me, but because he has got such free reign to be himself that they see him. 
Joyce was saying yesterday, someone was talking to her and he closed one eye as he was looking. I said it was too bright. She said he wasn't facing the sun. Oh, no. I had someone who used to talk to me like that. They'd squint. And I'd think, I know why you're doing that. You won't open your eyes to let me see. You won't eyeball. You won't look at me because I might see something that you don't want me to see. <laughs> and that was a Christian. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Father, something flitted through my mind and flitted out. It can't be important, can it? Father's house, nests, fellowship, learn, grow, safety, protected environment. And my my, my desire is that you guys should all come in to what God's got for you in fullness, not measure, fullness. So whatever is tripping you up right now, God's big enough for it. He is big enough. Meditate on the omnipotence of God. The bigness of God. Have a think about it. Just have a think about it. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish that which you purpose. Father, thank you that Isaiah 55 is a great love passage. The rain comes down and it brings forth something. And the rain of your love comes down on us and it's got to sprout forth something. Father, I pray that we will sprout and grow, Father, into everything that you want us to sprout and grow into, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.